The thing is that nothing in this internet world stays the same for very long. What works yesterday is not going to work tomorrow. And a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck because they find a formula or a pattern that worked for them in the past or worked for their mentor or worked for this guru that they want to follow. And so they do it and then it doesn't work and they don't understand why. And it's because things shift, things change all the time. Hey there, you're listening to the Jerisha Said Podcast, episode 32. Having the courage to start your own business and actually sell your consulting services online can be tough. Look, it may not be easy, but it can be simple. In each season, we take a deep dive into one core growth strategy so you can gain a solid understanding of what's required to serve, sell, and scale your consulting business. All you have to do is listen to what Jerisha said. If you are ready for a transparent, all the way real, edge snatching strategies, grab your castor oil and keep listening. I am your host, corporate engineer turned online business consultant, Jerisha Hawk. I first discovered our guest today on a creative live class that Tara McMillan was hosting. Lacey Boggs was one of the guests in the class and I immediately became like captivated by her. She was asking such smart questions and giving such intelligent responses. And I was just like, who is this woman? I started internet stalking her. That's like what first step, right? When you meet somebody new that you fall in love with, that's what you got to do. And I immediately formed this secret girl crush on her. Lo and behold, months later, I attended an event. And what do you know? There, Lacey Boggs was at the next table. This online world is a lot smaller than you think it is. <laughs> but Lacey Box is a content strategist, author of the best-selling Kindle ebook, Make a Killing with Content, and the director of the Content Direction Agency. She helps personality-driven brands create and implement content marketing strategies tailor-made to support their customers and reach their goals. To learn more about her, go to LaceyBoggs.com backslash undercover. But I'm so pumped for you to listen to this episode because Lacey is telling all on how she went from working at a temp agency to building a super successful agency of her own, how she's overcome the entrepreneurial hurdles and is still learning in the process of running a real agency. So guys, get out your pen, your paper. You're going to want to take notes during this one, especially if you are interested in scaling your service-based business by building an agency, you're going to want to listen up. Okay, let's dive in. At least kind of the starting out, like I said, I was always combing through your story. Like I met you at Run Like Clockwork, which was amazing to meet you in person because I had heard all these amazing things about you, but it was like, oh, I finally get to meet the woman in the flesh. <laughs> and I've seen you on Creative Live on, I want to say it was Tara Gentili's segment. She's Tara McMullen now. Yes. Tara McMullen yeah. on one of her workshops. And so it was really awesome just to meet you, but I would love to hear, like, I know you as you are today. What was life like before you started your agency and like when, like back, back, back in the day before you even started, (laughs) what were you doing back then? Yeah, it has been a long and winding road. That's for darn sure. So I actually have a degree in film from a small college in New Mexico. So I have a degree in the very artsy fartsy sounding moving image arts. And I wanted to be a director. I wanted to be the next Sofia Coppola. 
back in the day. And so I actually went to California. I applied for a very prestigious internship with the Directors Guild of America, and it's super duper hard to get. So they have about 3,000 applications for around 30 spots every year. And so it's like a nine-month application process. You have to fly out there a couple of times, take tests, interview, like all kinds of crazy stuff. And I got to the top 100 and then my then boyfriend and I were driving down Highway 1 and they said, they called and said, you've been cut. And I didn't have a plan B. There was no plan B. You know, like I was just like, okay, I'm going to get this internship and then I'll become a director and then, you know, whatever. So we ended up moving to California anyway. And I had a series of terrible, terrible jobs. <laughs> I went through my quarter life crisis and I decided to go back to my first love of writing. And so I applied for anything on Craigslist that looked like it was a writing job. And I actually got a job in PR for a while. So I did that for a while in California. And we ended up kind of hating Southern California and decided to... We lived in Orange County, so you can understand why we might have hated that. (laughs) It just wasn't our scene. So we decided to move to Denver. We moved to Denver. We were married by that point. We moved to Denver, no jobs, no prospects, nothing. And I did. I joined a temp agency and I walked in and told them that I was a copy editor. And they were like, you don't have any copy editing experience on your resume. And I was like, no, no, but I am. I can do this. (laughs) So they gave me a test and the guy told me I was the only person to ever have scored 100% on the copy editing test. So yeah, that was pretty nice. I was like, see, told you. No. Cares if it's not on my resume. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so they placed me with a company that made travel guides, and I did copy editing for them for a while. And then they hired me out of my temp job, and then they laid me off two years later, which was super scary. But it was also being laid off when you're the editor of a publication, like you're a writer, you're an editor, and you get laid off at the same time the second newspaper in your city goes out of business. There are a whole lot of journalists out of work at the same time. <laughs> But I ended up getting another job. I was the assistant editor for a small local magazine and their food editor. So I was a restaurant reviewer for a while. And then I got pregnant. And I decided I did not want to work 60-hour weeks anymore, work deadline until 2 or 3 in the morning to get the magazine out every month. I was kind of done with that. So I decided I would try to be a freelance writer. And that's okay, but I really don't like pitching. Like, it really sucks. So (laughs) I decided I might try blogging and I tried to be a food blogger because I had been a food writer, right? I was a restaurant reviewer. I started a food blog and I took Marie Forleo's B-School. You're like the fifth person on the podcast who took Marie Forleo's B-School. And this would have been like 2012, 2013, long time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So like long time ago in business years, (laughs) in dog years. So I took that. And what was funny was I did really well from a blogging standpoint, right? So I got a whole bunch of people on my list. I had like a thousand people on my list in the first year. I was getting guest posting opportunities. I was invited to guest posts for one of Martha Stewart's magazine's website. Like that was all working really well. And I think I made like $50 the whole first year. And I was like, okay, so that's not working. (laughs) So you had this four-figure list. You had, you're in Martha Stewart. Yeah, I'm doing everything right, right? (laughs) Winning out here, but like no money in the bank account. Yeah, and what I didn't realize is that that kind of blogging, like food blogging, beauty blogging, mommy blogging, whatever you want to say, is a totally different business model, right? It's very much a Walmart business model in that it's a, you have to have numbers. So like a thousand people on my email list, 
was not going to make me any money when I was selling an ebook at fourteen ninety five. You see what yeah, I'm saying? Like the numbers totally. did not match up. So my husband very kindly took me aside and he's like, look, if we're going to continue doing this thing where you stay home and work, you need to make some more money. I was like, no, no, give me another year. I have another idea. <laughs> so he said he would give me another year, but he needed me to triple my income. So between freelance writing and my $50 from my food blog, I think I made about $5,000 that year. Total. Wow. And he asked me to triple my income in the next year. So I said to myself, well, I'm pretty good at this blogging thing. Maybe somebody would pay me to do that. And it turns out that yes, they would. And that's sort of how this all got started in its current incarnation. And I met his challenge. I did triple my income that year and I've consistently doubled it every year since then. So that's sort of the superhero origin story. (laughs) Yeah. Well, a couple of things came up as you were saying that I think there were these moments, like these defining moments that you described along your journey where like things went wrong and you had to decide how to pivot and how to like bounce back. And I think like buoyancy and your ability to pivot are like two key traits entrepreneurs just need to have in order to survive in this world. But like, what were some of the things that were going through your mind and how were you, I'm not sure if you can recall back then, like what were you were thinking to help make those decisions as you were pivoting? Like, I got to just find another way or like kind of what was your spirit in that space? Yeah, I think up until very recently, it's always just been driven by like, okay, that didn't work. I need to find another way. I need to test something else. I need to try a different thing because I think the best thing that I was able to do for myself is not get too married to a particular idea of my business or who I needed to be or what I needed to be. I think I learned that from the terrible internship and like getting rejected by Hollywood. Like I had to totally reinvent myself. Like who am I going to be in this life after college? Right. And I had that like quarter life crisis (laughs) and that has sort of helped me be like not so attached to oh, well, I'm a writer. Oh, I'm a food writer. Oh, I'm a magazine writer. Oh, I have to work for a magazine. Oh, well, now I have a food blog. So I'm a food blogger. Oh, well, now I'm a, you know what I'm saying? Like I was able to just keep sort of adjusting because I had this big like, nope, from the universe at a young age. Yeah. <laughs> pivot from a young age. <laughs> and I think the second thing that's important is like online businesses back in 2012, I mean, even though that was only like six years ago, almost seven now, it's night and day different in our industry. Because I mean, I know people may be listening. A lot of people, I think, uh, have tried the traditional funnel where I'm going to sell these low ticket offers and try to make a bunch of money off of it. And it just doesn't work out. That I think is still true. But how have you been able to evolve over the last six or seven years from what the online industry was back then and just how sophisticated the market was back then to getting to a point of where you are now, where you, and we'll talk about the agency you have today. Yeah. I mean, a couple years into the business, I started to learn more about scaling and how was I going to make more money? Because I was really doing a dollars for hours model at that point, right? There was only so many blog posts I could write in a week and I needed to figure out how to overcome that ceiling, right? So I had two options. I could charge more money for a blog post, but there's a ceiling there too, right? At some point, people are going to stop paying. There's a limit to how much. They're not going to pay $10,000 for a blog post, right? (laughs) (laughs) At least not in my experience. So, And then there was a time limit. There's only so many blog posts I can write in a week. So there's only so many clients I could handle. So my first thing was that I was going to go the course route, right? So I was going to make a course. I was going to sell my knowledge that way. 
some DIY stuff that where people could get my knowledge from an e-course or even a live but group setting. I tried a lot of different variations of that type of scaling. And I guess probably over two or three years, probably three years total from the first time I offered something to when I sort of retired it. But what I discovered is like the so-called passive income is hardly ever passive. Like there's very nothing passive about that. Like even people today that I can think of that run extremely successful courses, like B-School, that's a great example. There's a lot that goes into marketing that all year round and especially in preparing for their huge launch. I tend to take the piss a little bit with B-School because it seems like everybody and their dog is an affiliate for it. So like when it's, you watch when it's January, February, every email in your box is going to be some B-School affiliate trying to sell it to you. But that, <laughs> but that takes a lot of work. Like that is a lot of work to coordinate all that, to run all that, to manage all those affiliates, to get all the marketing materials ready. There's nothing passive about what she does, right? She yeah. might only launch B-School once a year, but there's nothing passive about that, right? So I had to become quickly disillusioned with the course scaling model before I figured out that an agency was really the way to go for me. <laughs> yeah. How long were you selling services before you decided to say, I need to get out of doing the one-on-one? And what was that time frame for you? It was probably two years before I started my first course, but I never stopped selling one-on-one services. So even when I was selling my courses and my products, I was still selling one-on-one services. So I was trying to have it both ways because my one-on-one services were paying the bill. You know, that was my bread and butter. That was money in the bank. So I had to keep doing that at some level the whole time. Gotcha. And I think that some people who are listening may be familiar with like what copywriters and content creators are. Some may not be. Sure. I know it took me probably about a year and a half into my business before I truly understood the genius of what people like you do. So could you just briefly like explain what that is just to make sure before yeah. we dive into like nitty gritty details, exactly what that is? Sure. So a copywriter in general will write anything that has words <laughs> for your business. So that could be anything from your website copy to your tweets to there are people who write webinar scripts, video scripts, like anything that is words there is a copywriter out there who will write it. My niche, my sweet spot has always been blogging. And then from there, it has expanded to content marketing in general. So all the different pieces that go into that. So we might write your blog, but we might also write the emails that go with it, that send it out to your list. We might write the landing page for the lead magnet that you want people to sign up for. We might even write the lead magnet. We write the tweets, but we're all in that sort of content marketing space now. Gotcha. And when it comes to like how you have evolved from going one-on-one, you tried doing like courses of the digital products for a couple of years and realized it wasn't a good fit. I know you said that building an agency has been an interesting journey for you as well versus just hiring on friends to subcontract beneath you versus building a real agency. I guess at what moment did you decide that, you know, an agency is probably going to be the best route for us? And what was that experience like at when you first started and how you've like gotten to where you are now? Yeah. So, I mean, I hired my first subcontractor probably four or five years ago. So we've been doing this for a while as like, hey, buddy, come write for me, you know? And at several points along the way, I had two or three writers. So like there was a team already happening, but I was treating it much more like, hey, this is overflow that I can't manage. I need more people 
to manage it. You're my friend. I know you write really well. Do you want this work? Right? So we had that kind of relationship. And then probably about two years ago, I hit a wall with the courses. And what happened was I had some really ambitious goals for a big launch and they weren't based in reality. (laughs) And so when I didn't hit them, I was super depressed, right? So I was like, I did everything right. Here I am. I'm supposed to be this content marketing genius and I couldn't hit my goals for this launch. What's wrong with me? I was like in a space where I was ready to burn it all down. You know, I was just like, let's quit. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore, you know? And luckily I have some really smart friends. (laughs) And one of them is a sales expert and she ran the numbers and she was like, girl, you converted at like four and a half percent. Your goal was just too big for the number of people on your list, the number of people that saw the offer. Like, so basically what she was saying was you succeeded. You just had set yourself this goal that you couldn't reach. Like there was no real logical way you could get there. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing was I hired a coach because I was in like burn it down mode. And I was like, I need some help. I need some outside opinions. And when she and I started talking, she was like, so why don't you want to run an agency? And I was like, oh, because I don't want to manage people. Like, I don't want that to be my day-to-day job. I'm not a good manager. I don't like it. She's like, so hire a manager. And it was like, brain just exploded. I was like, wait, you can do that? <laughs> like, yeah, of course. It's so interesting. I think like how I used to think in corporate, I forget like basic things that I don't know why it doesn't click that I can do in my own business. I know. And it's dumb because I get that all the time when I tell people like, yeah, we can write your blogs for you. They're like, wait, you can do that? That's a thing that people can do? And I'm like, yeah, of course. But I had the same reaction when she was like, so hire a manager. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) So you hired... One thing I do love is that you, instead of trying to solve all these problems on your own, you decided to like seek outside opinions what is some like the decision or the criteria that you look into when hiring a coach or joining a mastermind or hiring an external consultant? Yeah, that's a really great question. I'm very stingy when it comes to spending money. So I need to be extremely convinced that I'm going to get my money out of back. I want to see an ROI, right? So anytime a coach or whatever can help me see where I'm going to get the ROI, that's a big step for me in making a step forward. But the other thing is I tend to follow people for quite a while before I make a decision to work with them. So like, I'm going to follow somebody, read their blogs, read their Facebook posts, whatever it is, watch them on creative live, whatever it is for quite a while before I'm going to decide to work with somebody. Probably B school was like my most impulsive purchase of that variety ever, because I was like, I don't know what to do and I need help and just bought it. But like, since then it's been very much more like I need to really resonate and connect with the person before I decide to work with them. And I've worked with several really good coaches and I've had several masterminds of just peers, not ones that I've paid for, but just peers that have come together that have been extremely helpful as well. But yeah, I just hired this woman, Brianne Dick, who i have been watching for a while. I knew she was smart. I knew that people I admired thought she was smart and she had the right offer at the right time to sort of help me figure out (laughs) what was broken in my current business model. Yeah. So have you since hired the manager or how are things now going with the agency? Yes. So in September, we made it official. I officially hired her. She's my first actual employee, which is super scary and exciting. But yeah, so she's on payroll and her name's Terry and she's the first writer that I hired many years ago. But she was my manager many, many years ago in a previous life. And so 
I knew she was a good manager. <laughs> so we've been talking about it for a while. You met her in Florida. Yeah. Um, so we made it official in September and it's amazing. <laughs> that so well, congratulations. Hiring your first employee is Thank like you. a huge deal. But like when it comes to profit margins, I know this is something that I know people they they grow, they're making more revenue, but the fact that now you have a team that's supporting your business, how have just the back end of the operations and like your profit margins adjusted changed since you were being one-on-one? to now that you have like a full service agency that you support clients with. Like how has that transition been for you? Yeah, it's really interesting because when I first started hiring writers, one of the things I really wanted was to make sure that I was paying them what they were worth. Because one of the things you see in my field is that you could go on Upwork or Fiverr right now and hire a blogger for five bucks, like literally $5. And they might be from the Philippines or they might be overseas somewhere else. Or they might somebody just starting out that doesn't know what they're worth. (laughs) But you can literally pay $5 for a blog post. And so I'm up against that when I'm selling to people, right? They could theoretically go do that. But I know that what we provide is so much more valuable. And so I wanted to hit like a sweet spot where I could pay my writers what I felt like was, you know, a living wage or what they were worth in addition to like keeping it at a spot where the clients don't think, well, like, crap, that's really expensive for a blog post. So it's been interesting finding that balance. But I mean, I don't know how specific you want to get. Generally, with the blogging retainer, it's like a 60-40 split. The writer gets 60, agency gets 40. I still have to sell that. I still have to be the one coming up with the strategy. And there's a certain amount of management. A lot of that now goes to Terry because she's managing those things. And then with other projects, I tend to ask, I still have a lot of subcontractors. So it's like, okay, what's your rate? Great. We're going to tack 20% on top of that because that covers my time for selling it. That covers our time for managing it. We still do like the billing and all that kind of stuff. So there has to be some kind of margin built in. But the benefit of working with an agency for the client is that they have all these experts under one roof, right? Mm -hmm. They don't have to go look for an SEO person or a Facebook ads person or whatever it is. We have them all in-house so they can just trust that we all are on the same page, playing from the same playbook, and we're going to get it done. Yeah. And I love that. And I think, how have you been able to even like grow? Like, I know you first said you hated pitching, I know. I and did. now here you are like doing majority of the selling and client attraction. And I know that you've worked with some very heavy hitters in our space, but how have you been able to even grow your clientele base from coming out of a temp agency and like bouncing back out of Hollywood and <laughs> writing blog posts to, I mean, I think you're probably, at least from my experience, like one of the top content agencies like in our online industry. So how have you been able to get the roster that you have? Well, you know, a little help from my friends for sure. So I did some, I did some number crunching earlier, I guess. Yeah. Earlier this year and good 70% of my clientele comes from referrals. So that's super important to me. Another biggie is just showing up. I find that my best marketing is when I just show up and be useful. So like even just being on this podcast, we're not even particularly talking about content marketing. But I know that if somebody hears me and likes what I have to say, they're going to come to my website, they're going to check me out and they'd be more likely to, to book me for a book us for some kind of project. Right. But like you mentioned earlier, like my partnerships with Tara McMullen, I've been on her podcast several times. I've been on creative live with her and I'm also very active in her community because she attracts 
a lot of people who are good prospects for me. So I literally like one of my marketing strategies is show up and be useful. (laughs) And as for selling, like, I think the best advice for selling that I got when I was very new was that I needed to let go of the outcome. Like I need to let go of being attached to them saying yes, and then make the goal just to get it an answer. Yes or no. Like if the goal is just for them to make a decision, that relieves a lot of pressure on me that I have to get them to say yes. If I just need them to make a decision, that's different energy. <laughs> and and also like as we've grown, I have so much more proof now that we can deliver a really good result. You know, so I feel much more confident in saying to somebody like, "Yeah, it's expensive to work with us. We're not going to lie. Like we're not cheap, but you're going to see these results." Yeah. And so I think my sales, I'm not a great salesperson, but that's probably like if I had a wish list, that would be the next thing I would hire would be a salesperson. So I didn't have to do that anymore. But I can just have a conversation with somebody and say like, here's what I think you need. We can deliver it. Here's what it costs. And here's why I think that's a good value for you. Listen up. Your business survival relies on converting clients consistently. You want steady income you can count on using your skills and expertise, but it's made to seem so complicated. The trick is having a simple system to get as many clients as you want, when you want, without having to do the unnecessary busy work. If you want to see mine, visit jerishahawk.com backslash masterclass to sign up. This is the same framework I teach inside of my premium program, Services That Sell. By the time you finish this masterclass, you will know how to position your services to help you earn consistent four-figure months with clients that are eager to get results and cannot wait to work with you. So visit jerishahawk.com backslash masterclass now. And I'm so glad that you said that. And 70% of your business is referrals. I know a lot of people in the online space are like, bump referrals, referrals aren't strong for you to like grow your business on. But like the reality is majority of us, even though I sell much more course heavy at this point in my business, mm-hmm. I'd say still like 40 to 50% of our business comes from a friend telling somebody else to go follow me. Mm-hmm. And then they go down our cycle. And like you said, they kind of internet stalk me before they end up <laughs> purchasing. But I mean, is there anything specific or strategic that you guys do help increase your number of referrals or is there any process around that or is it just been very organic for you? It's been fairly organic. I do know that when we have open spots, so one of the things that you probably struggle with, anybody who has a membership site or a course or something along those lines struggles with as well is churn, right? So we have retainers for blogging clients. And then after so many years, it's usually around two to three years of working with us. For many different reasons, people will churn out. They decide to bring it in-house. They decide to go a different way with their business. Their revenue model has changed, whatever. It's very rarely they're unhappy with us, but things happen, right? And we break up and it's like, oh, I love you. I'll see you later. But we're exes now. So <laughs> when we have a slow month or when I have holes, you know, I know that my writers need more people. I will go to strategically go to communities I'm involved in and say like, Hey, I have one spot open. Do you know anybody who's looking for it? And like that alone can frequently get me what I need to keep going because, you know, the best people know the best people. And if you're not constantly asking for, I think there's a fine line, right? If I'm constantly in that community asking for referrals, 
people are going to get sick of me. Also, they're going to tap out, right? Like they only know so many people. But if I go in strategically and specifically and say, I have one opening in the month of December or whatever it might be, then suddenly that gets people to to think of, oh yeah, my friend so-and-so really needs that. (laughs) But I think it also goes back to like, you've just been consistently showing up and being useful. That's like the number one thing that grew my business organically in the beginning. I would just go into Facebook groups and Gary V calls it like his dollar 80 cents rule. Like don't just go in and give your two cents, like go give a dollar and 80 cents (laughs) worth of value, like really answer people's questions or just be a resource or refer or whatever it is. But people start to just see you consistently adding value. So when you have an ask, it's like, yeah, she's helped me out. I don't know how many times. Like, of course I, or I've seen her be of use for other people. Yeah. And that's really how I see blogging as well, is that's a way to give your dollar and 80 cents all the time to people who follow you is to be super useful on your blog. And I'm not talking about like giving away the store. Like I don't want you to teach everything you know in a blog. In fact, one of my soapboxes lately is that I feel like people should do less how-to on their blogs and more why-to, more bigger picture thought leadership, which is harder. Like, let's not lie. It's way easier to write a how-to post on whatever it is. I could write how to do your own SEO tomorrow and, and it might take a lot of work to get it all put together. But if I write why you need to focus on SEO or who needs to focus on SEO, that's actually much more beneficial for my business because it's going to attract the people who don't want to do it themselves, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you probably have heard the phrase that like blogging is dead. Yeah. And I'm assuming that makes you cringe. I would just love your dollar eighty cents on like on that topic when people say that. Yeah. It's funny because I hear that every couple of years. So like as you said, like things have changed a lot in the last six or seven years that I've been doing this. And I swear that's been a theme at least three times since I've been doing this. And it's never been dead. It's been changing. The thing is that nothing in this internet world stays the same for very long. What works yesterday is not going to work tomorrow. And a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck because they find a formula or a pattern that worked for them in the past or worked for their mentor or worked for this guru that they want to follow. And so they do it and then it doesn't work and they don't understand why. And it's because things shift, things change all the time, right? A really good example of this is like when I was selling courses, I was religious about every single blog post I wrote had a lead, had a tiny like lead magnet with it, a a content upgrade. And so I was getting tons of opt-ins every day. And at one point I set myself a goal and I tripled my email list in six months. Wow. And then it didn't do any good when I switched to one-on-one, more focusing on -on one-on-one services again, right? So the people who had come in and wanted those free worksheets wanted the free worksheets. They didn't want to buy an expensive high dollar service from me, right? They wanted to learn the thing that the worksheet was going to teach them. So I had to pivot my own strategy, but there was like some grieving that went through my head because I had worked so hard to build my list. And then the list I had built didn't want to buy what I wanted to sell. And that was a big moment for me to realize that like, not every strategy is going to work. Not every strategy is going to pull in what you need it to do. And I think so to like circle around and get back to your question, like right now people say blogging is dead because you can't write a blog post and sell something from it. Very rarely. I mean, it depends on your model, of course, but very rarely do you and I write a blog post and make a big sale, right? 
you're not going to launch your courses with a single blog post. I'm not going to sell a $2,500 consulting package from a single blog post. But like people tell me all the time that they've been reading my stuff for years, that they follow me religiously, that they open every email I send, that they Googled me and found me organically because of SEO, because I've been doing this for six years, right? So I think people say blogging is dead because it's not seeing like instant ROI anymore. Mm. And yet I am seeing personally and with my clients that building up that trust over time is invaluable. Like it's very hard to measure that no like and trust factor, but it's invaluable. I have a really great story about this from one of my clients. Go right ahead. So I have been working for him for about three years now. He has a men's clothing company. They sell pants mostly for dudes who travel and they don't wrinkle and they have lots of pockets and stuff like that. They're growing. They sell more stuff than pants, but that's where we started. So for three years, he and I have been blogging. He has a very strong personality and it's a very personality-led brand, right? And so we've been blogging and writing in his voice for three years. And this past year, they went into a round of angel investing. So they were looking for money to add more products to the stuff. And so we wrote a blog post about sort of the behind the scenes of how he had been funding the company for the past however many years. When we wrote that blog post, we wrote an email to go to his list about the blog post saying like, hey, we wrote this thing. It's all about how we fund the company. P.S. We're looking for angel investors. If you're interested, hit reply and Stefan can talk to you about it. Okay, this went out to about 10,000 guys who buy pants. In 16 hours, he had like 16 responses. And three of those responses turned into $300,000 in funding. Wow. Now, I would love to say that it was because I wrote an incredible email and it was worth $300,000. I don't think that's actually the truth. I think it's because we had invested three years in building up that relationship with those guys that buy pants that they could from a single email then say, yeah, I want to invest in that company because I feel like I know this guy and I feel like I know what he's about and I'm willing to put up $50,000, $100,000. That is amazing. I think, it just, <laughs> I think it all goes back to, I think even some of the core values and the core things that you've done to grow your own business is show up and be useful consistently in spaces that actually like matter. And if you're a business owner and you have clients like and an audience, like you should show up and add value for them on a consistent basis. Yeah. And it just goes back to that. So, I mean, I know that listeners who are on now, I know I just hired my first copywriter probably like in May of, so maybe six months ago. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge, like, I don't know, experience for me because yeah. I've never had somebody <laughs> else scary. write for me. It was yeah. terrifying. Yeah. I was like, give this woman money to write words for me. <laughs> But after it happened, I'm like, I'm glad that it was a friend of mine that I knew. So we were able to do, I think, probably a little bit more back and forth than what might have been normal. Mm-hmm. But for somebody who has never hired a copywriter or has never worked with somebody in your lane, like what would be some pieces of advice that you would recommend to prepare them for that hire or to know when it's time to have that hire? Because I think a lot of the students who come through my program services that sell, they're amazing at delivering their service they typically have a very tough time communicating the value of their service in a mm-hmm. written format, which mm-hmm. in the online space, we teach a lot of live stream video where they can talk, but mm-hmm. your written word is still like, yeah, vital, vital. Like it's completely necessary in this online space. So I would just love to get your insight on yeah. how to prepare for that. And 
So I think that, especially if you're a newer business, the first place to hire a copywriter is for those really important text-heavy places. So your sales page and maybe your sales emails. Because we have been trained specially (laughs) to write copy that converts, copy that sells, right? There's an art and a science to it. And just because you write well, just because, I mean, especially I find this with people who came from like an academic or a corporate background, they're like, I can write. I'm like, yeah, you can, but you don't know how to write a sales page. You can write a memo like nobody's business, but you don't know how to write a sales page. And that's okay. Like I didn't know how to write a sales page when I started this business either. But I've spent tens of thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours educating myself to to get to this point. And so have the women on my team, right? So that's probably the first place to hire a copywriter is those places where it's actually going to make you money, where you're going to see the difference Mm -hmm. (laughs) right off the bat, right? Because a good copywriter can increase your conversion rate, can increase your sales, like big time stuff, right? You can see that very clearly. And so that's probably the first place. But then from there, like when you decide to hire somebody more like us that would do like ongoing content, that's when writing it is taking away from your main job in the business, whatever that is. So whatever your zone of genius is in the business, it's probably not blogging unless you're me. (laughs) You know, so for you, Jerusha, it's probably like teaching and selling and like being on this podcast, like marketing yourself. That's your queen bee role. That's what we learned together. Yes. But writing your blog may or may not necessarily be that part of that queen bee role for you. And so when you are at a point where writing the blog or writing the emails or writing the podcast show notes or whatever it is, is taking time away from the things that you should be doing more of in your business. That's when it's time to outsource. And I very rarely have met anybody where we couldn't outsource at least some of their content. I know a lot of people, especially service providers and especially thought leaders, they get into this headspace where it's like, nobody can do this but me because it's my thoughts and it's my expertise. And that is true and not true at the same time. So like we're especially trained to get all that goodness out of your brain and put it into a blog post for you. So you can outsource it even when it's you, it's your brain, you're the brand, you're the thing that's being sold. Yeah. And I love that. Like my first thing I hired for a copywriter was a sales page. But I think for me, it was like probably the fourth time I had sold the course, Mm -hmm. but I had a nailed down offer and I knew who my audience was. I knew who I was selling to Yeah, because it was a hefty investment to pay just for the copywriting and then for the sales page to get developed and designed. So even from a money standpoint, like are there some good rules of thumbs that people should just kind of learn to expect? For me, it was sticker shock just because I had never hired anybody in that space before to do that service. I mean, it totally paid for itself hours of the sales actually starting to come in and it pays for itself 10 times over now because we keep using the same material. Right. I wish somebody would just let me know beforehand, like what should should you be expecting when you're going into this from a budgetary standpoint? So again, like writers, we're all over the map. Like I'm sure you could find somebody on Upwork that'll do it for next to nothing. Is it going to be good? Mm, 
you know, that's a real crapshoot. I feel like writing in particular and sometimes development is you get what you pay for in a lot of sense. So, you know, our agency, we start around $2,500 for a sales page and it goes up from there depending on how complicated it is, how long it is, you know, how much research and how much work we have to put into it. I know developers that start at 3000 just to develop the page, right? Yeah. So, and I also know copywriters who charge $10,000 for a sales page. But when you think about it, like if somebody writing a sales page for Marie Forleo, she's going to make that $10,000 back in no time flat. Right. I would not pay for a $10,000 sales page if your thing is $199 and you've never sold it before. Right. That's not a good business decision. (laughs) But if you're like you and you know, like, okay, I can see how many I have to sell to make this profitable, (laughs) then it probably is a good decision because you're going to sell more based on having an expert help you out there. Right. Totally. It's like you're going to pay for it. Yes. But you're also going to sell more. I mean, this is also what I say to people when they get sticker shock about website copy. But you know, if I do my job right, when I write your website, it becomes a 24-7 salesperson for you. So if the average lifespan of a website nowadays is three to five years, over three to five years, are you going to make that $5,000 back? Well, hell yes, I certainly hope so, or else I have not done my job correctly. So <laughs> if I've done my job correctly, that should be a drop in the bucket, yeah. right? I had to like shift my mindset to stop looking at this as like some sales page, but looking at it, like I look at it as an asset of my business now, that sales copy, like I said, once you nail down your offer and you know what you're selling and you know who you're selling to, you know, at that point is how can you refine and make it better and make it easier for that conversion process to take place and having a really good sales page or like the sales email sequences and all of that makes a huge difference. But like, I mean, I use it all the time. Like even now we're in the process of evergreening the course. I mean, it's that same content is still being used. Minor changes have had to happen to the sales page, but the meat of the asset has not budged. Right. And it's still making you money. Oh, yes, it is. (laughs) It was a mindset shift of like not focusing so much on the upfront investment, but really looking at the return on the investment. So it was just a mindset shift. I think too, with writing, like a lot of people can write and do write well. I mean, you know, like I have no qualms in saying that many business owners are good writers. And so there's this mental thing that's like, well, if I can do this, why am I paying somebody a whole lot of money to do what I could do myself? Yes, you're a good writer, but it's just like I was saying before, have you taken all those courses? Have you learned how to write a sales page? Have you expanded all that time and energy figuring this stuff out when other people have, you know? So there, there's a difference for sure. And I think just a time piece. Like I used to write oh, yeah. my sales pages before I hired it out. And it's just like, I struggle. I've had to really learn how to write not corporate mm-hmm. and like coming from an engineering background and learn how to write in this more personal conversion heavy type of industry. It's a different way of communicating. Even writing an email like would take me days mm-hmm to formulate my thought. Typically I have to like verbally speak it and then transcribe and then like edit and then go back. And unless I'm like really in the heat of, I'm passionate about something it will spurt out. Yeah. Writing a full sales page where it has to be a lot more logical and it would have taken me weeks. And a lot of people are not comfortable with the sorts of things you have to do in sales page copy that make it effective. Like I can't tell you how many times I've talked to a client and I'm like, okay, so what are their pain points? And they're like, oh, I don't want to talk. I don't want to make them feel bad. I don't want to talk about their pain points. And it's like, well, they're not going to buy from you if you don't talk about their pain points. Like we don't buy vitamins as much as we buy medicine. You know what I'm saying? You have to have a problem that you solve 
And that's, you know, a good sales page will agitate that problem, twist the knife a little bit, not to make somebody feel bad about themselves, but just to remind them, hey, this is a serious issue in your life that you need to drop money to fix. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it's been like such a pleasure chatting with you. And I know people are going to be listening and be like, okay, where do I learn more about this (laughs) lacy woman? Where is the best, best place that we can just learn more about you and get more information about you online? Sure. So I'm at LaceyBoggs.com. You're welcome to come and follow my blog. I walk my talk and blog pretty much weekly. And then uh, if you're interested in our services, you can go to LaceyBoggs.com slash undercover. And there is, it talks a little more about our services and how to get in touch with us if you're interested in, in working with us. Yeah. And I guess I totally recommend getting on her email list or reading the blog. Like when I was trying to learn how to get better at writing, I would go follow really amazing copywriters and just see how they wrote. And it totally helped. Just even watching you do what you do well has helped me like learn just from watching you. So yeah, that's a super smart way to do it. (laughs) And did you have like a link or a freebie or anything? I know you put it in here that you gave me the link on the call. Oh, right. We put together a case study, a document with some case studies. So if you're interested in more about that, why don't you go to laceybogs.com slash hawk. Jerusha's last name, Paul. And that's where you can grab the case studies. And it's just a really great explanation of, you know, what we do and how we can really get some results that move the needle for people. Yeah. I'm really glad that you put that together and made that yeah. special for us. Cause yeah, like I said, it's good to start learning what the ROI is of a copywriter and what the impact that can be. So a ton. Yeah, my pleasure. And there's lots of freebies still on the website. So if there's something in particular you need, just use the little search bar and find it. And there's probably a worksheet for it because I spent many years doing that sort of thing. Okay. Thank you so much, Lacey. My pleasure. Hey, hey, Hawk Hustlers. Thanks for tuning in today. If you are ready to replace your income and turn your side hustle selling services into a profitable online consulting business, visit jerishahawk.com backslash masterclass. During this 90-minute crash course training, you will learn a simple, proven framework to convert more clients consistently. Visit jerishahawk.com backslash masterclass, and I will see you there.